Dean's opportunity to escape the smoky labors of the blacksmith's life came one autumn day in 1754. Dean and his father rode to New Haven, about 50 miles southwest of Ledyard, to seek admission for the boy to Yale College. To enroll at the college, he was examined by Yale's president, the Reverend Thomas Clapp, and some of the faculty who found the blacksmith's son able to read, construe, and parse Tully, Virgil, and the Greek Testament, and to write true Latin in prose, and to understand the rules of prosodia and common arithmetic. The examiners were sufficiently impressed that they awarded Dean a full scholarship. President Clapp required all students to study Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, and to declaim in one of these languages every Friday before the assembled class. Students were expected to speak Latin even in daily conversation. Dean studied logic, rhetoric, geometry, geography, natural philosophy, astronomy, and metaphysics. He read Homer, Euclid, Livy, Horace, Cicero, Tacitus, Locke, and Newton. President Clapp was a strict Congregationalist who required his faculty and students to adhere to religious orthodoxy in every aspect of the school. Dean's life at the small college was rigorous and austere. He lived with seventy or so other students in ascetic accommodations in Connecticut Hall. The same building also contained the college's faculty, libraries, and classrooms. Dean rose at six to say prayers before a light breakfast of a quarter loaf of bread. He carried water and firewood to the upperclassmen's rooms before donning his gown and hat for classes, which ran until dinner at noon. At dinner, the students ate a small portion of meat disguised in a nondescript sauce and served with cold bread and warm beer. They had another three hours of lectures until afternoon prayers at four. For supper, the students ate apple pie and drank more beer and continued studying until lights out at nine sharp. The college forbade any cards, dice, or rowdiness. Most of the other young men at Yale were sons of preachers or prosperous farmers. Some came from families that had founded the Connecticut colony a century before. Dean lacked the social advantages of his classmates, but he was determined to become a gentleman and worked hard at his studies. Life around his father's forge had taught him how to tell a good story, and his warm personality and high spirits won him friends easily. Dean's lively intellect quickly impressed his tutors. He excelled in all subjects, but was especially distinguished in Latin. At his graduation in 1758, he won a fellowship to continue his studies at Yale toward a master's degree in theology, which he completed in 1760. Unlike many of his classmates, Dean chose not to pursue a career as a clergyman. Greek, Latin, and metaphysics all interested him, but there should be a due limit set to these inquiries, as one of his textbooks counseled. A genius of active curiosity may waste too many hours in the more abstruse parts of these subjects, which God and his country demand to be applied to the studies of the law. Dean embraced this advice and decided to read for the bar. While studying the law, Dean earned a living as a schoolteacher in Hartford, the bustling capital of the colony. Hartford was growing rapidly as a gateway to western New England. Sloops navigated up the Connecticut River carrying cloth, spice, saltpeter, tea, molasses, sugar, wine, and slaves. 
and returned downstream laden with timber, barrel staves, horses, rum, apples, salted fish, pork, flour, corn, and rye, bound for markets in the West Indies and Europe. Rich merchants built large houses along the leafy bank of the Connecticut River, which wound magisterially through town. Dean had never seen so much wealth before. His training in theology had not extinguished a desire for material success. Walking along the river, Dean envied the fine houses of the river gods. The humble life of a schoolmaster could not satisfy his desire for greater wealth and social standing. In 1761, Dean entered the Connecticut Bar and opened a law office in Wethersfield, a few miles downriver from Hartford. Wethersfield's prosperous merchants and farmers needed lawyers to settle debts, transfer property, and draft wills, and there were few other lawyers around 